minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode 1034 of the Pack a Day Podcast. My name is Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. We are supposed to be joined by Perry Goldstein and Alex Strofe today, but Alex abandoned us because he's quote unquote moving. I don't know if we want to believe that or not, uh, but we'll give him a, a one time pass, I guess, at this point. But I'm incredibly excited to still be joined by the one and only Perry Goldstein. Perry, how the heck are you doing? I know just as we're recording this, you're coming off of a heartbreaking New York Knicks loss, which was an adrenaline pumping game, a really fun game overall. But uh, outside of that, how the heck are you doing? Andy, I'm great. I'm so glad to be back recording with you. I feel like it's been a little too long. We already do every other week and then we weren't together two weeks ago. So I'm really excited to talk, talk some Packers with you. Yeah, it's been a hot minute for sure. I'm excited to jump back in before because I'll probably forget this later in the episode. But before we get started, what are you working on? Where can we follow you? Uh, give us all the details because you're doing a ton of great stuff with PAX, what she said and everything else that you're doing. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, Maggie and I are working on some really fun guests, as usual, coming up this summer. Um, we're hoping to have at least a guest a month. And so far, we've been doing that. Um, we started our monthly live series. It's the first Tuesday of the month. So we get packs, which she said live. Um, nice. We just dropped some new baseball hats that are honestly awesome. If you want some merch, go check that out. Um, and Maggie and I will actually be together next week to record this episode. So um, we're really looking forward to that. Finally, finally uh, hanging out. Um, and then we'll also be up in training camp in August. So a lot of really fun stuff coming up. Unreal. And this is your first time meeting Maggie, correct? It is. Yeah. Which is crazy. I know. Because, I mean, you guys obviously have such a natural rapport together that it just seems like you've been friends for like two decades. But it's been like, what, a year and you still have yet to meet? Yeah, it's been about a year and a half um, ever since Pax of Cheese had started in January 2020. And obviously with the pandemic, we were never able to hang out. But yeah, she's become one of my best friends in addition to being the best podcast co-host ever. So uh, I think it's going to be a really that. nice weekend. I appreciate oh, you saying sorry. that as you're, as you're hosting with somebody else on this podcast as we speak. All right, Andy, um, <laughs> you are also the best podcast co-host. OK, it's not a yeah. it's not a one person gets the trophy. If I'm if I'm, you know, I'm not even saying that I'm second, but if I'm second behind Maggie, I can I can understand that and appreciate that. She is the best. I totally agree. <laughs> All right. Uh, enough of that. Uh, let's talk about the week that is set to come for Green Bay, because it's interesting because I, I think like everyone's obviously very attuned to what's going on in Green Bay right now. But it it also doesn't feel like there's a ton of talk right now that literally OTAs start on Monday um, and that it's start of OTAs this week. And of course, Aaron Rodgers is going to be on the Kenny Main show on ESPN, his final show as a member of ESPN. So like this week is shaping up to be an interesting week and something that I'm sure is going to be a much talked about week in Green Bay because of the Aaron Rodgers situation. I know everyone's a little bit on Aaron Rodgers situation overload right now, which I get we're not going to dive too deep into it. But um, let's let's start with that Aaron Rodgers, uh, Kenny Mayne, um, you know, interview. What is kind of your expectations for what may or may not take place on Monday? Yeah, I mean, I think it says a lot that Rogers is even speaking um, because I don't know how advantageous it is for him to speak at all on this. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of feeling like there's a there's a combination of things. There's one there was a point in time around the draft and the the weeks following the draft that it felt like there was something new going on with Rogers and the Packers like every single day, and it just felt like this drama would never end. And then in the last like week or so, it's really died down. You're not hearing a ton. The news cycle has either moved on or they got bored or there's just nothing really to say about it. So um, in conjunction with that and Rogers actually deciding to do an interview, I, I want to feel positive about it because why else, you know, if it's died down now, besides the kind of random, smattering of people still talking about a potential trade to the Broncos. 
why else would he get on? I imagine he'll be, you know, Aaron Rodgers is very calculated. He doesn't do things just to do them. He does them with a purpose. So, um, but I imagine he'll be, you know, the media did it for clicks and I didn't mean any of that. I can't imagine he'll go on and, and really say anything all that meaningful. I think it might be somewhat fluffy um, as is kind of his MO, except when he's on the Pat McAfee show. Um, but it makes me feel a little bit, I'd say like positive about the situation that he's even speaking at all. Yeah. It's a really interesting situation because it is the first day of OTAs. Now, OTAs have this weird connotation this year already because, um, you know, a lot of players do not want to attend OTAs to try to kind of change, uh, change up the situation and scenario where those, you know, kind of mandatory uh, or non-mandatory, you know, practices, you know, are shouldn't be, you know, super mandatory and things like that. So there's already sort of this weird connotation with OTAs. It feels like this year, but it is interesting that the first day that he is talking about this is the first day of Packers OTAs where theoretically he could be in green Bay with the team. And again, I'm not saying this to like rouse up suspicion or say like, what's going on. I have no idea. It's just an interesting, uh, the reason he's on to be clear is because he's, you know, he's been on the Kenny main or with Kenny main on sports center a ton in the past. They've kind of formed a connection. It's his last day. And that's why he's going on on that day. I don't, I don't think there's any alternative motive there, but Mm -hmm. uh, it is interesting nonetheless that it is sort of happening on that day. It's so tough to glean into exactly you know, what he may say or what he's thinking at this point, I kind of get the feeling that, you know, just kind of knowing how Kenny Maine is and just, I have a feeling it's going to be very casual and it's going to be, it's going to be like referencing it and not shying away from it, but at the same time, not giving anything of substance, just saying like, like almost like joking about it in a way of like, Oh, has there been news about me this off season or like something like sort of tongue in cheek where it, recognizes it, but without digging deep into it would be my guess. And because like you said, I just don't know how advantageous it is for Rogers to go too much into detail. My guess is there could be something of like, Oh, did you know something get blown out of proportion again? And he kind of references that, but um, I don't know. I I think it's going to be very interesting, even, even just being on there. And if it doesn't get brought up, if nothing's talked about to me, that says something like if it is talked about, that says something. So like, no matter what, I can guarantee you that no matter what he does or doesn't say that interview will be literally broken down to death over the course of the next 24 to 48 hours. Oh yeah. It's going to be dissected word for word. If it's a video, body language, eyes, everything will be talked about. You know, I I think it's, it, I don't know if it's a coincidence or like you said, it's just Kenny Maine's, you know, last show. It just happens to fall on the first day of Packers OTAs. I mean, if it is a coincidence, what a coincidence, but uh, you know, they're not, they're not mandatory. So I I feel like with or without this sort of cloud looming over the situation, I don't know if Rogers would even report to these OTAs yet. He doesn't actually need to be there, I think, until June 15th is the date of mandatory camp. So I, I don't know how much it means per se. I, I don't know if, Andy, if you remember if he usually reports to the first days of OTAs or not, but... I imagine that there's going to be a couple of vets that that aren't there either t- on Monday. Yeah, my recollection is that he has been there the first day of, of OTAs in the past. Don't quote me on that, but I believe that to be the case. Um, I remember one specifically where it was the first OTAs because I remember like the Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis season where it was like our first opportunity to get to see those guys. Hmm. And he was there and it was like he had new toys at his disposal and was literally throwing to those two, I think, on like every single pass in OTAs. So um, I, I remember that. I, I can't say for sure throughout the course of his career. Um, but as you mentioned, and as we kind of talked about, uh, it's a little bit different this year. And I, I don't expect there to be 100 percent participation from some of the veterans, um, even outside of Aaron Rodgers, because of what's going on right now um, within the league. So it's it's going to be it's going to be a noteworthy week for a variety of different reasons. What players are at OTAs, what players are not at OTAs. Um, what is Aaron Rodgers saying? Can he main? How do some of these players look at OTAs? And I think that's probably where we want to jump to next. Uh, so there's three practices, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday this week uh, for OTAs, or at least 
three gatherings of the players, I guess. Uh, they could just be workouts and things like that. We'll see how they kind of structure it. Tuesday, the 25th, is going to be open to the media. Um, my plan as of now is to be there and attending um, on Tuesday. So hopefully I'll be able to on the YouTube video. Uh, for those who haven't checked it out yet, make sure to check out the Pack-A-Day podcast on YouTube. I do a video every single day. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to break that down in players that I saw. But Perry, is what, what are you just kind of looking to hear or hoping to hear out of some of these OTAs when they do in fact take place this week? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to hear a couple of things. One, not to bring it back to the quarterback situation, but how does Jordan Love look um, after the offseason? I, I follow him on social media, as I'm sure many people do, and it really looks like he's been very focused, working out a ton. Matt LaFleur mentioned that they've chatted and he seems like he's kind of still on the right track. So how's Jordan Love feeling? How does he look? Um, second is, you know, what are the kind of young guys that make the jump from the rookie season to this coming second season after having a full kind of off season and under their belt and have their first normal off season, right? Because we didn't have any of these last season in 2020. Um, you know, how do they look as well as, you know, how are the rookies kind of integrating with the team? And then honestly, I'd love to hear some health updates. Like how is Josiah DeGuara looking coming off an ACL injury? You know, what's David Bakhtiari's rehab? Where is he at? So those are kind of the three main points that I think I'd love to hear about whether or not I do. I don't know. Um, but that's what I'm looking at. Yeah, I think those are all really great points and all ones that I kind of wanted to hit on as well. I think all eyes, no matter what, are going to be on Jordan Love. I think it's going to be interesting to see, too. My expectation, you know, with if Rodgers is, in fact, not there, it would be that Jordan Love gets the snaps with the, the ones. But um, we don't know that a million percent for sure. I think that's the likely scenario. But I think that's going to be really interesting to keep an eye on. And then, of course, more importantly, just how does he look during those practices? And again, even if he looks amazing or if he looks terrible, it doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. It's the first, you know, OTA and it's not going to be this intense practice. So you, you can't glean too much into it one way or the other. Uh, but I think that's going to be all eyes on him for sure. Um, how are some of those players doing with his injuries? That's the exact same thing I was thinking. Um, you know, we know uh, even if he's there, David Bakhtiari won't be practicing. But how are some of those other players coming along? And, uh, you know, is Josiah DeGuara healthy and ready to go? Like which which players are healthy, which ones are not? And then I think the other one is, is there anyone that's starting to line up you know, with maybe starters or with some mm. of the, you know, the the groups early in, in OTAs that can kind of tip your hand a little bit. Remember last year, really early, I mean, pretty much everyone, myself included, even being a big Bobby Tunyon guy myself, expected that Jay Sternberger was going to open camp uh, and training camp and OTAs. There was no OTAs, obviously, last year, but, um, you know, was going to open up camp as the number one tight end and get that first opportunity. And very early in training camp, um, it was Bobby Tunyon that was lining up. Like if all of a sudden they're lining up players, is there anyone that stands out and saying, oh, okay, like this player's taking a jump, like at that inside linebacker position? Is it Chris Barnes and Kamal Martin? Is Ty Summers involved in that equation? Like who's who's lining up where at that spot? You know, where is Eric Stokes um, lining up? Is he with the top three? Is it, you know, Kevin King, Jair Alexander, and Eric Stokes? You know, all of those yeah. sort of things are going to be things that I want to see. Who's kind of, you know, is there a Raven Green role in this Joe? Barry defense and if so is Vernon Scott there is is Adrian Amos playing it like what's going on there is Darnell Savage lining up in the slot like all of those things are just things that I want to kind of keep an extra eye out for to maybe see if we can start getting some hints into maybe some ideas that they have with some of these players that's a really good one Andy I completely agree I think also the offensive line will be really interesting to see what absolutely they do with all 16 of their linemen that they have <laughs> roster now yeah I, I'm so glad you brought up Joe Barry because I keep forgetting that the Packers have a new coordinator and it'll be very interesting we got I think a glimpse at rookie mini camp of Joe Barry out there with the new guys but having not the full roster I would say because I'm sure some guys won't come but as more players out there you know how does Joe Barry look what kind of coach is he how do they respond to him um, and what is you know what's he doing with them out there to maybe give some sense of of what the defense is going to look like this season it's it's pretty exciting. Um, I'm sure they'll try to keep a lot of what they're doing like close to the vest. Um, but I, I'm really glad you brought up Joe Barry because it's kind of gotten not pushed to the wayside with all the Rogers drama, but has definitely become secondary. And I think if all was well with our quarterback, that's pretty much what everyone would be talking about because having a new coordinator um, is a really big change. 
It really is. I don't even think I got to tell this story yet. So at, at rookie mini camp, um, I was there for day two of, of rookie mini camp and um, I was just trying to keep, you know, keep a little bit of an eye um, on Joe Barry just to see how he was kind of interacting. And there was one specific scenario it was like defensive line drills and they're going up against the offensive linemen and uh, they're trying to get to the quarterback, like not a real quarterback, but just the guy that's, you know, getting the ball snapped to him. And as you know, some coach, you know, random, whoever it was. Um, and uh, the, the goal is obviously for the defensive linemen to get in the backfield and get their hands on the quarterback, uh, basically working through these drills. And uh, one of the defensive linemen and who it was escapes my memory at the moment. It doesn't really matter for the story anyway. But, you know, he shoots through or tries to get through the offensive lineman, kind of stones him a little bit. But he was within arm's reach of the quarterback and uh, he didn't really get there in time. So he just kind of turned around and started to go back to the defensive side of the ball. And Barry was out there and just saying, make sure you touch the effing quarterback and just getting after him like immediately, like an intense dude. Um, Cause he's like, start building good habits and was like on him immediately. Cause he, he obviously wanted to make sure if you're near that quarterback, you're getting hands on him no matter what. It doesn't matter if it's a practice. doesn't matter if it's a game. He wanted to start building those habits. So uh, he was dropping some F-bombs and getting after players uh, pretty early on in practice. Um, he was kind of w- working his way to different groups and just kind of observing, observing everything. But I do not think that this is going to be a hands-off coach. I think he is going to be an intense hands-on coach for that defense, which um, I think is going to be a good thing. Yeah. Wow. That's a great story. See, those are the things that you get when you get to go to, when you get to go see practices, Andy, look at you. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to hear how, how he does. And again, I think the, I mean, obviously the coordinator and the head coach together set the tone, but the defense, they have a lot of players out there that bring the juice themselves, right? Like with Zadarius and Jair and that swag, but to have a, a coach who sounds like he's, you know, loud and boisterous and hands-on, I think will will do really, it'll, it'll be good for them, especially as it's a, a fairly young defense. Absolutely. And I'm really interested to see how that kind of all pans out and, and how the defense is just kind of put together. Are there any changes? Like, like there's so much. And obviously the Rogers stuff is going to dominate the media for the next for, you know, for the foreseeable future until it's all concluded. But um, it, all of that put to the side, there are so many really intriguing stories and, and takeaways that you can have from some of these OTAs. And I'm hoping to be out there again on Tuesday. That's my goal. Um, and uh, it should be interesting to see if there's anything we can glean from it. But let's kind of get to our main topic today, Perry. Um, I went through this a little bit on the video version a couple days ago, just kind of labeling some potential breakout players for the Packers this season. And I think when we usually get to this time frame, the, the, the common theme that people like to talk about is the, the second year jump that players can make, um, or maybe even like the third year jump, things like that. But something that I'm consistently and constantly looking for are players who are looking to potentially take that jump from either good player uh, to great player, great player to like superstar. Like, cause I, I'm a, I'm a full believer in the idea that it's really the stars on your team that are going to propel you to a super bowl. And there's a couple different ways that you can kind of go about building teams. I think Tampa and Kansas city was going back the last couple of years and even facing each other in the super bowl is a really great example of kind of these two ideas with Kansas City, you've got, what, five or six guys that are like just some of the absolute best players in the NFL. And then the rest of their team is mostly like, OK, you know, it's basically Patty Mahomes. And then you've got Tyreek Hill, uh, Travis Kelsey. Um, and then they've got Chris Jones, Honey Badger. I don't even know if I'm forgetting anyone like that's like the crux of the high end players on their team. But all five of those guys are so insanely good that it just elevates the play of everyone else around them. And then on the flip side, you've got a Tampa Bay who even some of the best of the best on their team, the Tom Brady's isn't exactly the same elite level that he was at one point. I'm still really damn good. No question about it, but not to the same elite level. Um, And I think if you go back, I don't think they had any first or second team all pros. I'd have to go back and, and look at that. But like it wasn't like the top of the top players. It was just literally everyone on that team was good. And and, mm-hmm. and together they were there was just no holes on that team at all. So I think you have to almost be one of those two. And I think Green Bay is a little bit of each, but they have so many of those star players and Jair Alexander, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, so on, you know, you know, you guys all know the people, but Who's next on that list who could potentially become one of those stars that could really help carry this team to another Super Bowl contention or hopefully actually lifting that trophy? So Perry and I are going to go one by one. We're each going to pick three players that we think. Um, And Perry, after that huge spiel, I will let you go first. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I thought that this was a great video, Andy, because I agree there's a lot of tropes around the second year jump and the third year jump, but it's never like, okay, this player was very good and they have, you know, all the traits to become a great player, but like what, who is it going to actually be this season, no matter what year that they're in, because every player develops differently. I think you mentioned Zadarius Smith in your video about how even when he was on the Ravens, granted, he wasn't like a starter. He was more of a rotational guy. And it took years until he came to the Packers, really, for him to have his breakout year. And I think that was maybe his fourth or fifth year in the league. So um, you never really know. But I am going to start um, with someone you mentioned on the video as well, Darnell Savage, because I think that as a Packers fan, we've always felt like Darnell had the traits and the tools to be a star, even when he was drafted, um, there was a level of excitement and he had a pretty decent start to his rookie season. And then I he got hurt and wasn't really the same when he came back and he struggled a little bit in the beginning of his sophomore season as well in 2020, even though I'd say his struggles for the most part as a, you know, if you're looking at the safeties as a whole across the league, you know, not a bad player, um, but the potential that we felt that he had, he wasn't entirely reaching until the second half of the season. Um, and he started playing just in a, a in a little bit of a different role, a lot closer to the line of scrimmage. And I, one thing that Matt Lafleur said in a presser. I don't remember after what game or if it was even in the postseason. He was like, I just want Darnell to stop thinking. I want him to just use his instincts and his football IQ and go and make plays. And that's what he ended up doing in the second half of the season. He ended up with, you know, four interceptions um, and, and, and was just more impactful, I'd say, than he was in the first half. And so I'd love to see two things. One, you know, what can Joe Barry do in, you know, in tandem with Jerry Gray to get him, you know, to just be more consistent, right? Like is the second half of the 2020 season, was that just, you know, a fluke? I, I don't think so, but you know, can he build off of that? Can they build off that together? Um, and, you know, can he stay at that sustained kind of level? Um, and then, you know, what, what does it mean in terms of like, what does his play look like in terms of the entire secondary? You know, I think there's been a lot of talk about, how much Joe Barry, Joe Barry covets the nickel position and would Darnell, you know, move into that star role. That's been a, a topic of conversation all off season, whether it's, you know, real or just us trying to come up with content to talk about. <laughs> I don't know, but again, he's so versatile. And I think what he did in the second half of the season um, with Petten can be, you know, transferred into 2021. And if it, is um and if they move him around to star role if they don't if they keep him doing what he was doing last season um him and adrian amos are going to be an incredible tandem i just think that it's a it's a consistency thing so if he can put it all together um on a week by week basis he's going to be one of the best safeties in the league yeah, I think that's true, too. And I think that's what ma makes it so interesting. And Ben Fennell and I have talked about this as well as when Savage is at his best. It's when he's not thinking and he's just flying around to the football and using those natural instincts. And it's not necessarily that he can't diagnose and figure out what's going on. It's more that it just slows down his natural speed and tendencies. And you just want to see him reacting to plays and using those instincts to go make plays on the football. And I think the interesting thing about that is I do really think that he fits very well with what they want to do just from a speed and being able to get spot to spot, sideline to sideline uh, standpoint in Joe Barry's secondary. But that safety position does have a lot of post snap movement and a lot of things that you do have to be very smart and kind of constantly thinking and making a lot of adjustments, both right before the snap, right after the snap and kind of playing off what the offense is doing um, with what you're doing again, right after the snap takes place. So I think it's going to be really interesting. I think that's why there potentially is some validity to him, maybe playing a little bit more in the slot or more in the box because, um, again, Joe Barry's the, this defense like to play a lot of two high safeties and, mm -hmm. again, do a lot of post-snap snap stuff. So it is going to be interesting. Do they let him do that because his traits allow, could allow him to do a lot of the stuff that they want to do and play at a high level? Or do they want him to be a little bit more instinctual and playing around the line of scrimmage a little bit more, maybe blitzing off the edge and doing all those sort of things? I think it's going to be really interesting to see where he ends up. And, again, starting in OTAs this week, it's definitely going to be something that I'm looking at, but uh, I definitely think that this is a player that's ready to take the next step. And then now the, just the question is, is if he does like how, how good is that? Is that, you know, really solid safety for the next decade? Good. Is that, 
Pro Bowl? Is that all pro? Like just how high is that ceiling? And he has all the tools. He's got a couple years in the league now. He's continued to show improvement. Now can he put everything together and be that just instinctual football player? That's another one. I'm or That's a player I'm very excited to see this upcoming season. And I'm actually going to talk, Perry, about his running mate. And it, it may seem a little bit weird because when we think of like breakout players, we're usually thinking of like, all right, guys that are 23, 24, 25, maybe 26 that are maybe having their breakout season. And to, to some extent, you may say that Adrian Amos has already had his breakout season, but it's really interesting. He's 28 this year. How Perry pop quiz here for you in his career. How many interceptions do you think Adrian Amos has? I don't know, four or five. Yeah, it's I mean, it's seven, but it's still over the course of his career. It's not very many like this is a player that I think has the potential to intercept seven passes in a season, much less through his career so far. And I also he's never been to a Pro Bowl. And to me, he is that caliber of player who can be that. And it's so weird. And I actually noted this when I watched his Chicago tape uh, before, you know, when he came to Green Bay as a free agent. I went back and watched um, basically his full season as a Chicago Bear the, the year prior. And one of the things that I noted was that it's so weird how he's consistently always in the right spot. He's where he's supposed mm-hmm. to be. He's the literally the, like the measure of consistency at safety. And the ball just doesn't find him. You know how we talk about safeties or just players in general who like have a knack for finding the football. Amos, for some reason, has the exact opposite of that. Where just wherever he is, the ball seems to go in an opposite direction. Part of that's because he has good coverage. Um, but part of that is just, you know, unluckiness. And I feel like this is could very well be the season where the ball just starts to find him a little bit more. Again, this should be somebody to me who if he had six, seven interceptions and a couple forced fumbles, a fumble recovery, a couple sacks, like none of that would surprise me. And he's that type of player. It, it, it is time for him to get, just get a couple of those random bounces of interceptions falling his way. I think he's due for a great season. I think he's put back-to-back really nice performances uh, as a safety in, in Mike Patton's defense, and I'm hoping that he can even bring that to another level with Joe Barry. Yeah, I think that Adrian Amos is just always in the right place at the right time. And again, that doesn't necessarily turn into turnovers, which is exactly what you said, but it means that he's locking down whatever coverage he needs to or whatever player he's on like he he doesn't give up a lot and again that doesn't show up on the stats per se but he really is he's so solid I I feel like he's Andy I agree like very underrated you know he's not going to get talked about in national media he he's not going to be flashy but again he just does what he needs to all the time he's so reliable and you really can't take that for granted, especially in a secondary where you do one thing wrong and that leads to, you know, a touchdown or losing of a game. You know, I, I think that the glaring issue, it becomes more glaring when someone in the secondary does something wrong. So when you yep. don't do anything wrong, right, it's not noticed, but it should be noticed. And I always see, you know, PFF tweeting out that Adrian Amos in terms of safeties across the league is always like in the top three in all of their stats. Um, and for some reason, again, like you said, he's not a household name. He doesn't go to pro bowls. Um, he certainly hasn't been an all pro, but I think that with potentially Joe Barry and then um, Darnell Savage, like we mentioned, making that leap, I think they work so well together that they can elevate each other. Um, I'm going to yeah. talk about, Let's see. I'll stick with the defense. Um, And again, I think this is probably a pretty obvious one. Maybe. I I don't know. But um, it's been a player that I think I've been a bit of a stand for since he was drafted. um, And I've loved watching him develop over the last two seasons. And that's Rashawn Gary. And Rashawn was a really interesting pick because obviously he was the first first round pick um, in 2019. And then they took Savage and at 12, everyone thought, you know, why, you know, why would they use number 12 on Rashawn? He's a project, et cetera. He really didn't play all that much. He didn't start a single game in 2019. He had, he had, you know, a nice amount of snaps, but he was really number three behind Preston and Zedarius naturally because both of them were having an insane season in 2019, but he didn't really get to shine at all and you but you look at his stats from 2019 to 2020 and everything has gone up you know two sacks to five sacks you know tackles up tackles for a loss 
up, QB hits up. Like everything has increased and that comes with more playing time, right? He started four games, played in 15, not not 16, because I think he missed one when he was hurt. But I just think that the more playing time this guy gets and the more development he gets, because again, he was picked as a bit of a developmental player, the more impactful he's going to be. And, uh, you know, they brought Preston Smith back on that kind of restructured contract. And we certainly hope that Preston Smith produces more than he did this past season. But I kind of consider Rashawn Gary to be edge two behind Zadarius now, just based off productivity last season. Yeah. And I think if he gets those that time, um, he's going to produce. He has all the like he is the quintessential goot pick, right? Like freaky athlete, all the traits, just needed to put it together. And so in year three, that's typically when that happens. Again, it could take a little bit longer, but his tandem with Zadaria Smith to me, I think is going to end up being quite dangerous if he progresses forward the way his trajectory looks like he's going to. Yeah. If, if we didn't draft these players ahead of time between you and I going three and three, this would have been one A on my list. And it was the, I think the, the number one that I wanted to talk about when I did this list the other day, this is going to sound really weird. And I didn't mention this on the video. I don't know if you caught this at all. I'm assuming you saw him make the announcement for the draft pick uh, during the draft. Mm-hmm. How confident did he look up on that stage? And it's going to sound really weird, like such a minor thing, but this, like, he just looked like a player that was exuding confidence and that it kind of found himself in a way. And I, I don't know how to explain it exactly, but to me, that means so much that he's just fully aware of who he is. He's confident in himself and he felt he felt different. And again, it may sound like a weird thing. He's just announcing a draft pick up on a stage, but like when Rashawn Gary's even been in you know, front of camera and stuff like that, I'm not saying that he was like, I don't even know. It's not like there was anything wrong with it or anything, but like you, there was just a different level of confidence in how he was in his presence and, and how he spoke and how he was up on that stage. Now, does that equate to a 13, 15 sack season? Probably, who knows, right? It's not apples to apples, of course, but like you just see that he's gaining confidence. And that's something that we've consistently seen on the field over the course of the last couple of seasons, basically having sort of a red shirt season is first year starting to see the field a little bit more and, and like you said almost being r- really the the de facto number two player uh, alongside Zadarius Smith because Preston struggled a bit last season I fully expect him to take that next step this year and really be the guy that breaks out uh, there's no player on this roster maybe besides Jordan Love just because of pure curiosity that I am more looking forward to see how they look in training camp and, and as the season starts than than Rashawn Gary I'm, I'm super stoked No, I think confidence is huge. You know, I think you talked about it in terms of MVS on the video as well. And I think there really is something to be said for that, because when you're not again, I'm not a football player, so I don't know. But I think about it in terms of my real life, like when I'm not confident in something that I'm doing, I'm overthinking and I'm worried. And that all of that takes up so much energy rather than just going out onto the field or going into life rather and just saying, I know what I'm doing and not having to think about it. And we have talked about this already on this episode, how the thinking and that process just slows you down. And Rashawn Gary, one of his, I think, best skills is his speed and his burst, right? He is just so powerful and so athletic. And so if he doesn't mentally slow himself down because he's confident out there, I think the sky's the limit. I really do too. I'm incredibly excited. And that probably is a perfect way to transition to the next player on my list and just kind of talking about that confidence. And that's MVS. And I get it. And then some people might, again, be rolling their eyes as they're listening to this, thinking about MVS and thinking about the fumble against the Colts or the, you know, the, the drops on the deep balls, the drops on the crossers, just thinking like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to get heartbroken again and thinking that MVS is going to be this really good player and then have him, you know, again, break my heart through the course of the season. But I've been there for the last three seasons and I have not bought into MVS Um, really kind of up until later in last season. And I know we had some of the mistakes, but man, MVS looked different to me in his level of overall confidence, how he was playing on the field, his consistency in route running. I know his drops were there, but he played with stronger hands. His drops to me were a little bit more mental than they were um, anything that he was doing from a technique standpoint. I I loved everything about his game. And 
if if you want to pick apart MVS for some of the mistakes that he's made, that's fine. And, and there certainly has been enough of them to be able to do so. But if you're if you're saying MVS can't be good or like he can't be a star in this league, what are you pointing to? The only thing, in my opinion, that you can point to is just some of the mistakes or the confidence or the, the concentration, the drops, things like that. Everything else, his route running, his speed, his strength, his ability to be consistent with where he needs to be with his routes, gaining rapport with Aaron Rodgers, like everything else to me. He's got it's there. It's ready. And it, it, I don't know. Um, it's like the moment in the Matrix where uh, Neo is the one, but he goes to the Oracle and she says, you're not the one. I don't know what you're waiting for. Maybe your next life. Like he's MVS. The only thing that he's waiting for is to realize he's that damn good and can do anything that he wants in this league. Like that's the only thing that needs to happen. And eventually, of course, in the Matrix, Neo realized he was the one and then it was over from there. If MVS realizes he is the one and he can do whatever the hell he wants on a football field, it's going to be over. And that's the last step. And again, maybe he's waiting for his next life, just like they said uh, in the Matrix. And maybe he never figures it out. And maybe it just is a, a, an ultimate disappointment because everything that you want to be there is there and it just never gets fully put together. I'm going to I'm going to double down and say that this is the year that it gets all together. And again, just another player I'm excited to watch this season. Yeah, I am such a big fan of his. I think when you can battle through the ups and downs that he has and still go out there every week and produce, because he does produce, I think that says a lot about a player. Uh, something that he said recently in an interview he did with with Ty Dunn really stuck out to me, which was just how difficult the playbook is, right? Like you have Matt LaFleur's book, and then you have Rodgers. And I think that there's something to be said for the receivers on this team while the league has decided that they're not the caliber caliber deserving of Aaron Rodgers. You know, they have all gotten on the same page with him. And if they're out there every week with him, it means that he trusts them, which we know is a big deal. And so I'm sure also that that, um, I guess, trust and reception, warm reception from Rodgers for MBS means a lot. And again, like another year under the belt, another year with the scheme is everything. A consistent deep threat. And I, I don't think MBS is as inconsistent as people think that he is. It's just been a, when you're the deep threat, you know, you either catch it or you don't. Right. So when you don't, it's it's a lot more jarring to see. Um Honestly, and I talked about this a little bit with pa on Pax, so she said with Maggie, I think that, and we'll talk about rookies in a, in a little bit, but I, I'm wondering, I think that the kind of starting receivers, if you will, um, in Devante, MVS, and Amari Rogers is just such an interesting trio and just a very unique each individually skill set that's going to be so fun for Matt LaFleur. And I think there's something to be said for having kind of that true slot guy, if you will, not to put a rookie on a pedestal because of course he's going to have growing pains as well. But I think he just allows both Devante and MVS to, to do more of what they're good at. So um, I'm really excited for MVS and I agree with you. Um, I'm going to keep going with the, with the offense, Andy, and I'm going to choose, um, another second year player, someone that if you listen to Pax, what she said, you know, that my co-host Maggie is the biggest fan of in AJ Dillon and AJ was such an interesting, I mean, he's been such a controversial pick a little bit, right? You know, anytime any team takes a running back as early as they took AJ Dillon, um, it gets talked about and AJ was taken and then not utilized all that much um, really until like the Titans game and then a little bit in the playoffs with the Rams. And he didn't really have his moment to shine. Obviously, he got COVID and we learned afterwards that, that COVID actually really knocked him out, which I'm sure impacted, you know, obviously impacted his season and his ability to contribute. But he's now running back, too. He is now the one-two punch with with Aaron Jones, and I think that they are the most perfect complementary players to one another, right? Jones is shifty and can go the distance at any moment in time. He's got, you know, the hands. We've seen him be able to catch passes. That's not something that A.J. Dillon has done yet, although he'll probably do more of. So, Andy, if you see him doing that in OTAs, you let me know. <laughs> Um, but he is that power. He's power. He's just, I mean, everyone talks about his quads. He's power. And I think that he is going to 
first take some weight off of Aaron Jones, which we need because we want to keep Aaron Jones healthy um, and just do a lot more than Jamal Williams could. We saw that AJ Dillon can take over a game. We saw what he did with the Titans. And I don't do not think that that game was a fluke. I think that's the kind of player he can be given touches. Something that he said after that game, which I thought was telling, which is, Running back is a very like rhythm oriented position. You know, you can't just go in for a play or two and then come out. You you got to get into that rhythm. And that was the first game that he really felt like he was there. And we saw what he could do when he felt like he was there. Right. So I think the more time and the more touches that he gets, he's going to produce. He had over 100 yards and two touchdowns in a random snowy Lambo game. Um, when when we needed him. And so I am looking forward to what he will do when he gets more consistent time in the game, you know, all season. Yeah, I would be more surprised at this point if A.J. Dillon didn't work out than if he did work out. I just think he has everything that he needs to be a really good NFL player. And again, another player that I think has a lot of upside. I'm going to make a bold prediction as well, Perry. I'm going to say that the first offensive snap of the season has both Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon on the field. And I think what gets so lost here is that like, you know, going back to like, well, you, you, why did you draft a running back in the second round? If you were going to draft Aaron Jones as well, uh, there's a lot of situations and scenarios where both of those guys can be on the football team at the same time. I think green Bay will start in that formation in their very first offensive series this year. So bold prediction. We'll see if it happens, but that's going to be my guess. And I, again, another player I'm super excited about this year. I'm going to wrap things up here um, with a player who, when you think of like breakout stars, you may not think of offensive linemen per se. And when I say Alton Jenkins, you may say dude's already a star. What the hell are you talking about, Andy? And it's really interesting. The fact that he can literally and legitimately play five offensive line positions and do them all well in and of itself makes him somewhat of a star and makes him so incredibly valuable and really invaluable to this Packers roster. Like it's crazy what his versatility means to this team. And it's, it, it's such a special player. That being said, I would also argue that if you watch him down to down as just a pure guard or offensive lineman, I don't think he's elite yet. And again, his overall skill set and being able to play everywhere, I want to say this again, makes him elite in and of itself because he can do so many things. But if you're just putting him, let's just say he's a long-term left guard or center or tackle. At this point, I don't think he measures as the top three to five player, maybe three to four players at any one of those positions. And I think that's where he can still continue to improve his game. I also saw towards the end of last year, go back to the Tampa game in the NFC championship. I didn't think Elton Jenkins played well in that game at all. There were other games towards the end of the year where I thought he fell off a little bit towards the end of the season. And that is not to say that he is not a really good player. If he doesn't change or get better one iota for the remainder of his career, he will probably be a decade long Green Bay Packer and a really good one for a very long time. And the Packers will be lucky to have him. He doesn't need to get that much better. But if he, to me, he is a player that has the opportunity to be an Alan Fanica, a Steve Hutchinson, like one of the best of the best at their position. And he's not quite there yet. And I think he has the ability to take it to that level, be a consistent Pro Bowl and potentially even all pro caliber guard center tackle wherever they end up settling on him. Um, but again, I don't think he's quite there yet. I think this is the year that he could take that jump. I think it's such an interesting point because you're right. Everybody gets very excited and rightfully so about a player who's so versatile, but it is so important to be, you know, tippy top of your class, if you will, um, at the position that you were originally drafted at. And while versatility is wonderful, you would hope that at some point you don't actually have to move him around the line <laughs> because everybody is set <laughs> at their positions. So I think what the Packers did last season was phenomenal that they were able to do that shuffle and still keep Aaron Rodgers upright. But that's not that's not optimal. No, for sure. And I think, again, part of the reason why I'm sure it's tough for him to be uh, the top tier player at his position is because he's moved around so damn much, right? Like uh, if you're moved on, you know, game to game and don't know where you're going to be playing or have to practice at multiple positions, certainly it makes it tough to master your craft at the one position that you're playing at. So I'm sure that's a part of it as well. And again, I don't want to get things confused here. He's already great. I just think he can be elite. And I'm, I'm thinking that he has the ability to take that step next year. Again, just a tremendous football player, whatever way you want to slice it. Uh, but again, I still think he has opportunity for growth, which is the really scary and exciting aspect of 
Development mm-hmm. Jenkins. Um, yeah. Let's kind of close here, Perry, with one last topic, as you kind of alluded to earlier um, and hinted at. And that's just kind of going over the rookies a little bit. And what I kind of wanted to do is just go over uh, who could potentially make the biggest impact as a rookie. And I know a couple of the other teams have touched base on this, but we haven't had a chance to really talk about this. So I'll let you go first. Who's the rookie that you're really looking at to potentially make an impact in year one? I have two in mind, obviously, and I think you'll probably, I don't know, maybe you'll surprise me and and take a different one, but um, I think I'm going to go with Stokes, and I know that that may not be the first guy that people have in mind, right? Rookie corners have a really rough learning curve. I've said this before, not everyone's going to be Jair Alexander and get out there week one and be, I wouldn't say dominant because he had his growing pains as well, but you know, as solid as a rookie could be in week one. Um, And we, I don't think that Stokes is going to be the starter week one. I will say that they brought Kevin King back for a reason. And I, unless Stokes shows some insane ability in camp over the next couple of months, I highly doubt they're going to trot him out there week one over Kevin King. But I do think that he is going to give King a run for his money. Um, and I, rightfully so, right? King had a has been really inconsistent. He obviously ended the season on a really bad note. Um, and he's been really hurt. And I'm not obviously not rooting for any player to ever get hurt. I'm going to knock on wood right now that that doesn't happen. But History has shown us that Kevin King can't stay on the field. And so I feel really confident that Eric Stokes can go in there if need be and play. Now, is he going to be, like I said, locked down, shut down? No, he's got a lot of work to do. And I think you have gone over this ad nauseum about his pros and cons. Obviously, the Packers saw a lot of potential in him to take him in the first round. He still needs some molding. He needs to learn how to use his speed um, and not, you know, run through plays and uh, use his speed to catch up because he, you know, can't control his body, et cetera. But I think that he has all the tools. Again, just another one of those like quintessential freaky athletic guys that can be molded into somebody great, a really high ceiling. Um, I just think that inevitably he's going to beat out Kevin King this season. And maybe that's a hot take, but I think at this point, you know, we've seen what Kevin is and he's really inconsistent. And so I think that if he dips into one of those times where he's not having a good game and Stokes goes out there and has a good game, I'd be hard pressed to think that the Packers will trot out Kevin King over him if he outplays him. Yeah, it's going to be interesting how Chandon Sullivan plays into that as well. Do they think Jair can play inside? Well, they know they can play inside. Do they want to play him there? Uh, can Eric Stokes play inside? I, I have a feeling this is going to be very much like the offensive line where they're, just, they're making sure their best corners are on the field at all times. And if they feel like that's Eric Stokes, whether that's outside, inside, they're going to figure out a way to get him on the field. And he definitely has all the talent in the world to get to that point. It'll just be interesting to see at what point Green Bay trusts him uh, to be an elite, you know, not elite, but like a, a starting caliber player. Um, you know, for their secondary. So that'll definitely be one to keep an eye on. I, I'm with, well, first of all, Perry, who is the second one that you were considering out of curiosity? Amari Rogers. Yeah, that's who I ultimately went with here. Um, I think, I think you can make a really strong argument that the player that's actually set up in the best way to make an early impact is Josh Myers. I think he's probably the leader in the clubhouse to start somewhere along the interior offensive line, especially center as the season begins. It is also interesting if there is some sort of holdout with Aaron Rodgers and all of a sudden he comes back late in training camp. Are you comfortable with running a rookie center who he doesn't have any rapport out there in week one? Like that's a whole nother story for another day. But that's something that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on as well. Uh, To me, Myers is more of a pure center. I know there's been some talk about him maybe playing guard or center. I do think that his best position is going to be center. That's where he practiced in minicamp as well. So um, I I think he's probably set up the best, especially with Bakhtiari's injury. Maybe Elton Jenkins needing to kick outside. I I think he's set up the best to get on the field early. But I'm going to go with Amari Rodgers. To me... Again, you mentioned it earlier in the fact that there's a literal spot on this team that nobody else is perfect to fill except Amari Rogers, and that's that slot wide receiver position. And that's not saying Devontae Adams and Devin Funches and Alan Lazard and Equinemius St. Brown and even MBS can't play some in the slot. They all have that ability to do so. But 
Amari Rogers was tailor made to play in that position. And I, I would just be surprised if the way and just how creative Matt LaFleur is, if they don't get him involved early and often, I think he's going to be a kick returner. I think there's a good chance he's a punt returner. I think he's just has the opportunity to make that impact. And I think of all the players in this entire draft class, I think he might be most ready to make an impact on day one in, in, in a consistent and positive way. So I'm going to say Amari Rogers again, Myers might be set up a slightly better with where things are at in their given positions. And to be fair with Amari Rogers, that wide receiver position could get very crowded very fast. If all of a sudden Devin Funches looks good and everyone is healthy and, you know, MVS is still playing well on the outside. Alan Lazard gets to play a lot and is obviously one of your best run blocking wide receivers. We know Adams is going to play a ton. Who knows if they still have you know, or what they still think of EQ. And, you know, there's a lot of mouths to feed at wide receiver. And this is also an offense that loves using a bunch of two tight ends, some three tight ends, some wide one wide receiver sets. Like just how many snaps are there going to be for all of these wide receivers? So you have to think about that as well. But um, I'm still going to say Amari Rogers, even with that in the back of my mind. Yeah, I could not agree more. I, I again, like it's hard to imagine a, you know, putting a rookie in the position or having the expectations of so much output, but it's hard not to feel that way when it's just so clear how well he fits into this offense and on special teams. Like it's just an immediate impact, even if he's not, like I mentioned earlier, you know, starting three out there week one, you know, he's going to be impactful in the punt and kick return game. So um, I just think that no matter what there's going to be, you're going to be seeing Amari Rogers on the field immediately. Yeah, I agree with that as well. All right. I think that does it for us today, Perry, any final thoughts before we get out of here? I am super jealous that you're going to be at practice on Tuesday. <laughs> um, I am really looking forward to hearing about what you observe and um, seeing all the videos from everyone that are going to be there. Just uh, it's, it's going to be yet again, another really intriguing off season for the green Bay Packers as always um, rinse and repeat. But I think that, you know, Maggie and I just did a kind of 90 man roster. Look, we looked at the offense. We're going to look at the defense this week and I'm really, really liking the way this team is shaping up. Um, so on paper, at least. So I'm, I'm excited to see what it looks like on the field. Finally. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to be at that practice and we'll see what they allow us to tweet out and what we're able to report on. Sometimes they limit that a little bit. So we'll see just how much I'm able to get into. But hopefully we're not limited too much and can go over a ton of super and exciting stuff. Um, that'll definitely be taking place Wednesday on the YouTube channel. So make sure to check that out. Again, if you haven't checked out the YouTube channel, make sure to do so. A new video by me every single day. It's about 10 to 15 minutes. Um, hopefully, hopefully you'll enjoy it if you're enjoying the 365 day your audio podcast you're probably going to enjoy the video ones as well so make sure to check that out if you have not subscribed yet uh, to wherever you're you know you're getting your favorite podcast to the pack a day podcast please do so it helps us a ton also if you'd be kind enough to leave that amazing five-star review and comment again we would be forever in your debt um, i don't know exactly what that means i don't know how i can pay off that debt but we'll still be in your debt in some way shape or form that is going to do it for perry goldstein today perry where can we follow you on twitter one more time just follow me at perry underscore goldstein you'll see everything there and you can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, go pack go.